Welcome to the Middle Tech Podcast, this region's leading business podcast, shining a light on technology, entrepreneurship, and the future of business in Kentucky and beyond. Our goal is to advance the ecosystem by bringing attention to the founders, changemakers, innovators, and those supporting them. Middle Tech's content can be found on your favorite podcast streaming app, social channels, and YouTube. We encourage you to follow and participate in the conversation. Let's discuss and build the future. Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. You got Logan Jones here with Evan Knowles recording out of Awesome Inc. Uh, and this is a big episode for us. This is a milestone episode. This is our 150th episode. It seems like just the other day, I think I came on right around episode number 50. So it seems crazy that uh, we've gotten this far. I don't know, man. Does that it's a big, big accomplishment? Like that in itself is a big accomplishment. Most people quit. Most people, you know, don't want to go that long. Most people don't see the value. They're not providing value. Uh, I think just 150 is a testament to, I think, the value we're creating and our care and passion for what we're doing. I think that's a big accomplishment for us to, you know, celebrate and get to. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely has not been easy. It's been a lot of hard work. We've had to scale the team up to, what, nine, 10 people now yeah. uh, that are all helping part time. So it's been a lot of fun, but something we're really proud of. Um, and we have a, a really special guest for our 150th episode. Yeah. So Aaron Ganey, uh, he's an E-Town guy. Really happy to get him on. Uh, and he is starting a very special company called Behavior. Uh, it's spelled B-E-H-A and then capital V-R. Uh, so they are, if you can't tell, doing something in the VR space. They are helping provide basically uh, mental health and therapy through uh, VR for people that have chronic pain, mental illness, stress, you know, things of that nature. They're helping them cope with these unfortunate circumstances with VR. Uh, and it's a very growing model. Uh, they're very successful. He used to be the CTO of Humana. So Aaron has a ton of experience in the technology space, but also in the healthcare space. He knows the ins and outs. And now he's applying in a very quickly emerging technology to solve massive problems in that space. So it's really exciting to see what he's doing here in Kentucky. And he's also got a lot of office space in Nashville as well. So he's kind of splitting his time. He says, he says he spends most of his time in E-Town, which is really cool to hear. Yeah, there's some cool stuff going on in E-Town. It's always fun to hear what what's being built around that area. Um, but yeah, this was a really fun episode for me, especially. I just recently gotten an Oculus Quest 2, and it's kind of blown my mind, uh, to be honest, with you know how virtual reality is just incredible is the only way to say it. And that Oculus Quest 2, I feel like, is the, the one VR headset that's kind of bringing it to the mainstream and uh, helping people to understand the true potential that VR has. So I've gotten to do some cool things with um, video games around it, even though I don't really play video games much. Uh, even watching something as simple as watching YouTube videos is a completely new experience in VR. Um, so just a really fun episode for me to sit through and, and kind of talk passionately with with Aaron about this. And we got to discuss uh, how Aaron went about assembling a team to build this VR product, uh, how behavior is bringing VR into the healthcare space, the state of the VR uh, industry as a whole, and then also where he sees virtual reality going into the future. So there's lots of exciting things happening in the space. We're super excited to have an episode highlighting some of those things. And we're very excited to watch where behavior goes into the future. So before we get into this episode, we're going to go ahead and get a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Land Betterment. 
Land Betterment is doing some incredible work throughout Appalachia and Eastern Kentucky as they are taking abandoned strip mines and putting sustainable businesses in their place. These businesses not only provide a useful repurposing of the land, but they also provide great jobs to replace the mining jobs that were lost when the mine was shut down. To learn more about Land Betterment, you can listen to our interview with their founders, Mark Jensen and Kirk Taylor, on episode 97, or visit their website at landbetterment.com. We're also sponsored by Airwing Ventures. Airwing helps determined entrepreneurs seeking resources to grow with capital and connections in order to build successful companies and impactful legacies. They're all about high growth companies, high growth careers, and high growth communities. I've personally known Dan Beldy for about four years now, and I've seen the work he's been doing in the community, and we should all feel very blessed and grateful that a VC like himself is here in Kentucky. I encourage you to connect with Airwing and learn more. Let's all grow this state together. You can reach out to Dan at info at airwing.vc or dan at airwing.vc. And their website is www.airwing.vc. guys we're very excited to get into this episode we are here with aaron ganey of behavior and that is spelled b-e-h-a and then v-r so this is a conversation around uh, his company that is dealing in virtual reality and healthcare. so it's a conversation we're very very excited to have uh, it's an industry i've been very interested in here recently so aaron thank you so much for joining us yeah thanks for having me good to be with you absolutely where are you calling in from today I am in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, which is uh, our headquarters, just a little south of Louisville. Love it. That is so exciting to hear, being uh, somebody that grew up in Elizabethtown uh, and really didn't fall in love with technology or the startup space until after I left. And so it's cool to hear and, and meet people like yourself and, and John Wilmoth and Shane Howard and some of these people that are there in Elizabethtown building startups. And there's many more, but it's, it's cool to hear that you're there because uh, it often isn't talked about in Elizabethtown. But uh, let's let's jump into you know your background before we get into you know behavior. Let's jump into your background. Talk about uh, where you born in Elizabethtown. Uh, talk about your upbringing and your education, and then we'll jump into behavior. Sure. So no, I was actually born in Toronto, Canada, uh, and moved to E Town. Gosh, I think I was about twelve years old or so, sixth grade. You know, so just just about to enter junior high, and uh, grew up here in in E Town. Went to Elizabethtown High School. University of Louisville, where I met my wife. And then we moved away for about 15 or so years. And we were in Paducah, Kentucky for a while, Indianapolis, and then Charlotte, North Carolina for about 10 years. And then uh, moved back to the area in about 2005 and have been here ever since. And, you know, my, uh, my work history is, I sometimes say to people, everything I've ever been paid to do is related to technology or computers in some way from my very first, you know, kind of part-time jobs and in high school, uh, I got my first computer in junior high, absolutely fell in love with it from day one. Love the creative aspects of what you can do with, you know, we didn't call it cyberspace then, but you just had this sort of freedom to create experiences really uh, that didn't exist previously. And so from the earliest stages of my career, I was involved in, in IT in some way. And so I, uh, I joined actually a Kentucky-based company called Computer Services Incorporated, or CSI. They're based in Paducah, but they're actually here in E-Town as well. And uh, got into the financial services industry with CSI. 
learned a whole lot there. Kind of got that was my first sort of real job, real career. Uh, went off to Charlotte to join a big bank called First Union, which became known as Wachovia. So the first big chunk of my career, I was in financial services and technology roles, generally always in sort of development and creating new systems and capabilities, and you know that was my thing, and and loved every bit of it. And then in in uh, 2005, I think that was the time. My wife and I wanted to come back to the area where we've got a lot of friends and family. That precipitated me joining Humana in Louisville. And, you know, candidly, I didn't know that much about Humana. It was, it was primarily a personal move for us, but I was fortunate to, to get a great role there. And that's where I got the healthcare bug and was at Humana for 12 years. It's an amazing company, formed incredible deep relationships with, you know, hundreds of people. Uh, and, and to, you know, consider myself really fortunate to have had that opportunity. And I was at Humana, uh, as I said, 12 years in, in technology and innovation roles. And, and by the time I left there, I was the chief technology officer of the company. And as I mentioned, that, that's where I got the healthcare bug. It's just incredibly rewarding to work on things related to people's health because, you know, if, if, if life, life can be good in every other way, but if you don't have your mental or physical health, that becomes your number one priority, you know, and it's just so, so meaningful and so important to people. And it's awesome when you have an opportunity to, to help them improve their health. Absolutely. And talk about uh, how you decided to go not only towards healthcare, but combine that with virtual reality. Was there a time when you were getting excited about what was possible with VR and then spun that into behavior? Or how did behavior or the idea for behavior come about? Yeah, it wasn't really grounded or, or initially it wasn't about VR. I had wanted to uh, build my own business for forever, basically. And I had just been fortunate. I had great roles with, you know, great organizations. I mentioned the banks and then Humana. And so, you know, it was a process of um, always sort of putting it off, waiting for the right moment to go build my own business. And at some point I got, I got sort of increasingly, it was about, you know, I can't not do this. Uh, I read a book that was for me just the right book at the right time. I highly recommend it to people. It's called Die Empty by Todd Henry. It's a, it's a, it's a great book about, you know, you only have so much time on the planet and you need to be doing the things that are most meaningful and doing your best work in the world. And, and as I approached the founding of Behavior in 2016, I was just increasingly in this place of, you know, it's not about that I'm not happy at Humana or don't have a great career because all of that was, you know, it was, it was wonderful. I just had this, um, this part of me that really wanted to go out and create something new. And so I spent a couple of years figuring out what problem were we going to tackle? Because I believe you got to start with the right problem. I, I knew I wanted a, a really big, meaningful problem. I mentioned it had to be related to healthcare because I think that's just so meaningful in people's lives. I learned from my smart colleagues at Humana that we had this, this incredible uh, sort of meta comorbidity, this huge area of unmet need in, in mental and behavioral health. And um, all pre-COVID, mind you, mental and behavioral health uh, needs were in, in incredibly um, uh, common, but the system is not designed and not capacity, uh, it's, it's capacity constraints in the system. So people aren't getting the care they need, either because of uh, you know, barriers to care like cost, convenience, availability of, of therapists, and there's a whole range of reasons, but people are just not you know, 60% of the people who have a behavioral health or mental health challenge in a given year get no help at all. So that for me was the problem we were going to take on. And then it became, well, what's the solution? 
And being a lifelong you know, technologist, I had a, a pretty strong sense of the full stack of what can be done in technology with, you know, based on uh, cloud computing and health data interoperability and analytics and mobility and so on. But the new ingredient that was just coming available in 2016, new in the sense that it was finally sort of ready at, at, at a consumer grade level, was virtual reality. And I had paid attention to VR over the years. It had been through a couple of cycles where it almost happened, but then didn't quite. So there are two decades of research showing how VR is really effective for a range of mental and behavioral health conditions. But it could never get, sort of never escape from the lab, as it were, because there just wasn't cost-effective, convenient, comfortable, consumer-grade hardware. That changed in 2016 when, it was actually it was a couple of years before that, but when Facebook acquired Oculus, when it was a very early stage mm-hmm. company, that sort of lit the field on fire. And so at that moment in 2016, I recognized that, you know, this is going to be really transformative, the medium of VR in terms of how we interact with technology. It's going to be very psychologically powerful. I didn't have as deep an understanding then as I do now about exactly why that is, but it just seemed like the, the moment, sort of next wave of computing, really psychologically powerful, and it lined up directly with this huge problem that I wanted to tackle. So for me, the pieces just fell into place, and it was it was time to go launch it. That's uh yeah, that makes makes total sense. And I I did I was surprised when when Facebook bought Oculus, but it made so much sense after you started to look at it and say, oh well, you know, there's there's the metaverse, you know, for you yeah. going forward, <laughs> right? Um, so I guess one of the first things you had to do was was build a team, right? So this is not a easy bootstrappable you know problem necessarily to solve, right? So how did you go about uh, you know looking for a team and uh, how did you, uh, you know, fund it in the early days? Because that's something I want to talk about towards the end of this uh, interview is the funding piece. But let's talk about the team first. How did you go team about building first. a team? Yeah, sure. Well, well, since you're, uh, you, you expressed your appreciation for Elizabethtown, I'll tell you a, a fun detail about this. So I knew I had to go get some, uh, some doers. You know, I had been, a, a, let's call it an executive in some large companies for a while. And so I, what I knew is I can't hire a bunch of executives. <laughs> you know, we're, we're useful for some things, but not so much for, you know, coding and creating actual systems and so on. So I thought, well, I got to go hire some guys who understand the technology. At the time, in 2016, the only real viable deployment platform, it wasn't even Oculus yet. It was really, if you remember, Samsung Gear VR, mm-hmm. sort of right, Android phones with the snap it into the headset thing. So I, I went out looking for somebody with some Unity skills, which is a game development engine, and, and Android skills. And so I placed an ad. I don't remember what, uh, what hiring platform, but we won't go there. And I actually said, well, I'm going to label this as a Louisville, Kentucky-based job, even though we're in E-Town. But nobody's, nobody's heard of Elizabethtown, right? So I post this job looking for a Unity developer in Louisville. The guy I ended up hiring who became our, our, uh, our very first employee actually lived in Elizabethtown. And so he, he had convinced his wife, this is Zach Barno, he had convinced his wife that they needed to move to the Pacific Northwest or Florida because he, all he wanted to do in life was work in VR. And so he thought he'd have to leave the area. He sees the job posting. He says, Louisville, Kentucky, I can't believe it. We make contact and it turns out he's actually in Elizabethtown and he lives a mile from our office. So that was where we found our first employee was right here. But uh, that was a fun detail. Then we imported some guys. Uh, Himanshu Chaturvedi came from Clemson University, and, and it sort of built from there. But we always had a mindset of get, get very motivated people who are mission-driven, who have the capability to roll up their sleeves and design and build and wear many, many hats. For the first couple of years of the company, we literally were three or four people. 
while we were building out our core cloud platform and our the base of our of our VR platform. So you need doers who want to work very long hours and uh, you know really put in the kind of sweat equity in the early stages. Yeah, and before we get too much further into you know building the team or, or how you guys went about building it, uh, give us a couple of sentences about what behavior actually is, what you guys are offering uh, your clients when you're working with them. So what we what we fundamentally are creating is general wellness programs and digital therapeutic programs. The distinction being, in the case of digital therapeutics, you you go through an FDA clearance pathway so that you are able to make claims about treating or you know, well, directly treating a disease, right? So you've probably heard those, like on a radio commercial, this product has not been evaluated by the FDA. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, right? We've all heard that disclaimer. If you want to bring a digital therapeutic to market, it's the inverse of that. You do get it evaluated by the FDA so that you can make those claims. In digital therapeutics or digital health, there's a couple of levels you can go after. You can bring a general wellness product to market that is still evidence-based, you still do clinical studies, you still show efficacy, but what you don't do is go through those FDA pathways so that you can, as long as you steer clear of making claims about treatment, you can reach broader sets of people and it's like, think sort of self-help general wellness program. We have several of those on the market today and then we all are also pursuing our first digital therapeutics and we'll have a pipeline of those. They're all uh, wrapped around our core of essentially anxiety-related disorders. So what we have in our programs and our platform, we call our stress, anxiety, and fear extinction protocol. It's three very specific ways that we use the medium of VR. Uh, it's aligned with like the neurological power of VR and how it really engages our threat processing centers in the brain. All of our programs are wrapped around that safe core, all related to uh, stress and anxiety related disorders. Yeah. And when you said uh, that being in VR kind of evokes this almost completely different mind state. Uh, diving into that, that's one of my favorite things right now because I just got an Oculus not too long ago and I got the, one of the first apps that I got on it was this meditation app where it mm -hmm. walked you through all these visuals and I was blown away by the state that it could kind of get me into because one of the things it does is, yeah, it's nice to put you in a very calm and tranquil place and you know you feel like you're actually there. But one of the things I was really impressed with is how it could guide your breathing and kind of your eyesight and what you're doing with your head and do all of these things that you wouldn't think uh, mm -hmm. off the bat. So it totally resonates with me what you guys are doing because I've been there and I've done it and it's it really is incredible. Uh, but let's yeah. dive in real quick to how much time you guys spent actually developing this cloud platform before you had something that you were able to, to get into consumers' hands. Well, our specific, uh, the, the way it played out in the very early years, there was a period of time where I overlapped my job at Humana and I had launched Behavior, but I was not a full-time employee of Behavior yet. So we did that for a couple of years. Um, and we just had a very small team of two full-time employees and a couple of part-times. And what we were really doing, I mentioned that cloud platform. We call it our dynamic experience engine. It is in control of the workflow and what's happening in the VR headset in real time all the time. Oh, wow. So everything that's happening in your headset is being sort of decided and then instructions coming from the cloud in real time. And then the loop is closed back. So everything you do in there, all of your interactions, the logging, the, your biometrics, they're all coming back to the cloud in real time. And so using that closed loop, we can personalize your experience and collect a whole bunch of information about how you engage with the experience at the same time. That took a lot of engineering and sort of design work. And I mean, it's you're never done. We're working on 
right now our third generation of that uh, DXE 3.0. Um, so we, you know we did we did work on our very first product in those early couple of years. Someone once said, I think this might have been part of the lean startup book or movement, but wh whoever said it, it's right on. Said if you if you if you're not a little bit embarrassed by the first launch of your product, then you launch too late. Have you heard that? One? Oh yeah. Well, we're plenty embarrassed by the first the first product we launched, right? So we were learning. We got stuff out there. That's what you got to do. You got to get real patients and clinicians you know, reacting to, to what you've built. Uh, we were also learning about the specific challenges of building highly performant VR applications. We started out developing on high-end computers, you know, PCs, with tethered headsets like the early Oculus Rift. What you quickly find is that's not very scalable. You need all-in-one headsets like the Oculus Quest and Quest 2, but of course those came years later. And so the problem with these all-in-one headsets is they don't have nearly as much processing power. So you got to really, really work at optimizing, you know, frame rates and building highly performant applications that they're also very engaging. So there was tons of work to do there and it's sort of, let's call it generally R&D, right? From platform to how to build high performing applications to what people like and how they work. So the first couple of years was very much R&D and, and uh, it was a bootstrap period. You know, I had, I had uh, part of my planning process was you know, kind of squirreling away capital and was able to make those early investments on my own until in 2018, I left Humana full-time into the business, went out and started raising capital from the angel and venture community. And, and then we, you know, we needed to expand at that point. Got it. So who's your customer? Who's paying for this? Yeah, there's a variety, but generally think about uh, providers. So clinicians operating um, where they want to sort of differentiate what they do and provide better experiences to their patients. And then sponsors, specifically think payers and employers who are invested in uh, the, the physical or mental health of their employees or health plan members. We were soon, we're, uh, July timeframe, we'll be launching a direct-to-consumer version of our Nurture VR product as well. Nurture is our perinatal mental health program to support uh, new mothers in the third trimester of pregnancy, labor and delivery, and then the fourth trimester. It's all around the mother's mental health. Um, and we're going to be uh, testing that as a direct-to-consumer model as well. Yeah, and talk about some of the results you guys are seeing because I was going through your website before hopping on this interview and I was seeing some stuff you guys have done with COVID and there are some really, really um, strong results that it seems like you guys are driving with this technology you guys have. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, we've got, we've got um, a number of programs and, and I mentioned that whole closed loop of our platform, right, where we collect data. So we're able to capture a wealth of patient-reported outcomes around engagement and how people are improving uh, by using the, 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 you know, our experiences. And so it depends on the program, what we're improving, but just to give you some examples, like our first commercial program is our pain neuroscience education for helping people with chronic pain, uh, understand what they're dealing with. And it's a, it's a biopsychosocial approach to chronic pain it was actually developed. Our partner in that program was Confluent Health, which is a Louisville based company, Larry Benz and his team. They, train physical therapists and operate hundreds of physical therapy clinics themselves. And they have a deep domain expertise around chronic pain and, and pain neuroscience education. So we partnered up, uh, translated their understanding of PE into our VR program. The kinds of things we drive are incredible improvements in pain catastrophization scores, pain rating, just sort of objective assessments of how much pain people are in, a global rating of change, how much their function and quality of life has improved, 
you know, 73, 74% of all of our PNE patients are reporting significant positive improvement within just three sessions or more. Uh, we do, you know, uh, perceived stress scores. I mean, it's just depends on the program, but in every one of our programs where we check in with the patients to see how they're doing and we measure these improvements again in, in stress or pain or function or quality of life or what have you. So if somebody's having, uh, let's say, chronic pain and they put the headset on and they're using your platform, give us an idea of what they're looking at. So what are some of the actual experiences that they are you know, visually seeing? Yeah, so, so there's, there's uh, I mentioned that SAFE protocol, and I'll, I'll kind of use that to walk you through this. So, so the S in SAFE is, is getting people out of chronic stress activation. That's the easiest part. And it's the part that's sort of almost magical with VR. So if I put you in a soothing, calming environment and kind of get you breathing deeply and, and chilling out a little bit, we want to get you out of sympathetic nervous system activation, which is really like your fight or flight response, into parasympathetic dominance. So your body sort of returns to that uh, homeostasis and, and that sense of where you're, you're, you're not in fight or flight. You're sort of relaxed, your heart rate is down, your respiration is deeper, et cetera. That's the first thing we do. And we do that literally through the soothing, calming environments, and then sort of guided exercises for deep breathing and the like. The next level is, is combating anxiety. And we, anxiety is really about concern with non-present threat, right? It's worry, it's rumination about the future, racing thoughts. What if this happens? What if that happens? We combat that by building mindfulness practice through introductions to mindfulness and then guided sort of progressive mindfulness, again, in a whole range of nature scenes and settings of your choice. And then also emotion regulation exercises, some elements of CBT and teaching people about thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. And what's cool in VR is you can literally create, and we do create these interactive experiences like gamified lessons. And so you're not just learning something on a 2D screen or watching a video, you're interacting with an environment. One example is a we have this uh, game called Fireflies, which is an introduction to cognitive behavioral therapy concepts. And what you're doing is being presented with challenging scenarios that would, that would cause you to maybe have a negative reaction. There are, you're, you're sitting in a field at night in a campsite, and there are these fireflies floating around. And those fireflies, what they actually are is words. And so there are thoughts, emotions, and behaviors, some negative, some positive, and you have a vacuum gun. And so you're sort of sifting through and you're capturing these fireflies into the jar. And the idea is to capture positive thoughts, positive emotions, positive behaviors, and push away the negative ones and think about them as separate. Now, it's kind of fun and it's kind of cool, but what are we doing? We're teaching you about the fact that those are three different concepts and that you have choice in, and you know, just because you have a thought doesn't mean that you have to embrace it or believe that it's true. You can sort of let it pass. So that's a great example of where we take things. We didn't invent CBT, right? These concepts have been well-proven in, you know, thousands of studies over the years. What we're doing is translating really important elements of, different techniques in cognitive behavioral therapy, turning them into immersive sort of gamified experiences to teach people new concepts or guide them through new skills and the like. So that's an example of the anxiety, uh, combating anxiety. And then fear extinction is exposure therapy. And so this is something that um, can often be done in a therapist office with like imaginal exposure therapy. I could get you to close your eyes and recall something that's very stressful or traumatic for you, that does work. It can still be very um, triggering and cause a lot of emotions or physiological responses, but it's, 
it's sort of uncomfortable. Therapists don't do it very often because it's time consuming and they don't get paid extra for it. You as the patient, you have a lot of control, right? It's all top down. It's cognitive. You're recalling from memory and you have a lot of agency there. So you can sort of, if it gets too comfortable, you can sort of redirect your thoughts. In VR, we can put you in an engineered experience that is designed to cause a reaction in you, whether that is to calm you down, like putting you in a beautiful setting and get you savoring to sort of re-regulate hedonic pathways in the brain, or something deliberately intended to trigger you. Like in our social anxiety products, we give you challenges. You have to do things like you're at a wedding, you got to go over and you got to order a drink from the bartender and you need to make eye contact and he's rude to you. Mm-hmm. And we track, are you looking at him in the eye through eye tracking and can, are you projecting your voice? And so we have these social challenges that you're acting out in VR. So it's sort of gamified. What we're doing is, is helping you sort of face those fears, right? So that's a fear extinction element of what we do. So I'll sort of stop there. there. It gives you an example, but there's a whole range of education, motivational content, and and these kinds of skill building exercises. Yeah, and it's, it sounds like you just kind of hit on one there, uh, an example of when the feedback loop would kind of kick in uh, and change the experience. Is that eye tracking? Is that an example of one? Or give us some some potential examples of when the experience would actually and, change. And off the back of that, how are you tracking biometrics? Are you going off of Apple Watches? Are you integrating with those? Are you sending them extra hardware? Talk about Talk about that as well. Yeah, so so eye tracking is certainly one, and that's obviously built into the to the VR headset. And we are using Wear OS watches, if you know, like it used to be called Android Wear, um, with a custom app that we've developed to capture heart rate and heart rate variability. So it's a wearable. Um, we're really excited about the future of this space, though, because in fact, just a week or so ago, in an interview, Mark Zuckerberg talked about some of what's coming with the um, with the. I think he said it may be called the Quest Pro. Uh, and if you've, if you've experienced the Oculus Quest 2, phenomenal sort of first really mainstream headset. It's amazing. That's insane. Yeah. Fa- Facebook sold more Quest 2s in seven weeks last year than all their previous VR sales no, in, since 2015. Yeah. yeah. Normie, it's a great product, yeah. right? Uh, Mark Zuckerberg was talking about the Quest Pro. We have some inside knowledge because of our relationship with Facebook, so I can't say too, too much other than uh, biometrics uh, certainly appear to be coming. And will probably be built into these headsets. And the things that they're working on, this is public information that's on the internet, it's not just about eye tracking, it's about sort of facial facing cameras that will detect, uh, capture your expressions uh, and the movement in your facial muscles, which can then be mapped onto avatars in VR. So we might be talking in VR in the future, we're all avatars, but with, with great fidelity around specific eye tracking, facial expressions, I mean, it's gonna get really, really high quality and immersive. That sounds absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah. Uh, but before we move on from behavior and, and the company itself, uh, we'd love to hear a little bit about your long-term vision and where you see taking this company in, into the future. Well, what we're after in the big picture is, is we want to liberate people from their stress, their anxiety, their fear. There's so much of that. There was so much of that before COVID and things are worse now. It's a massive problem. Not everybody struggles with it, but far, far too many people do. You know, fear and anxiety-related disorders are things like generalized anxiety, social anxiety, panic attacks, uh, obsessive-compulsive disorder, PTSD. And then there's even some that are technically not anxiety-related, but they're in the neighborhood. So things like substance use disorders, opioid use disorders. There's so much opportunity there to help people who are not getting care. We want to do that by really re-engineering 
the value chain for them. Where do they get it? They should be able to get that care, including digital therapeutics, at home. Private, comfortable, and yet connected. Right? So we want you to feel like, look, this is, this is my thing. I can do it on my own terms. But when I go in there, I want to connect with communities that can help me on my journey. Right? So could be support groups, peer groups, could be person to clinician, could be clinicians to, to groups. And so we see this as a confluence of a range of wellness and digital therapeutic products in a virtual health community that's connected and, and creating relevant connections between people. Got it. Absolutely. All right. So I, I want to jump, I want to end this conversation with, you know, the a state of the industry as far as VR goes. But I mentioned earlier, I want to talk about, you know, your fundraising experience. Because when we first got on your call, uh, on a call with you, you know, you had mentioned you had some frustrations and struggles locally with, with raising money. I want to talk about that. And so I want to put that into the light. Uh, give us, you know, some reasons on why you had that, that frustration and, and what you've been seeing. Yeah, I, I felt like it was unnecessarily opaque as a process. There's certainly lots of things to read online, lots of advice about how to raise money and do pitch decks and all that stuff. That's not so much what I mean. What, what I'm after is, you know, in Louisville, there are scores, hundreds probably, of qualified investors who are in the space of doing, you know, angel investing, super angels, some venture funds, including like John Wilmoth, who introduced us, right, at Poplar Ventures. And John is an early investor in behavior. In fact, he was the very first investor in behavior uh, besides me. <laughs> so, so I always appreciate John for that. But, and, you know, and I was, you know, not prominent in the community by any means, but I had sort of a prominent job. I was the CTO at Humana. That, that's, that's not too bad. And yet it was this very sort of random walk of getting people to make introductions to other people I'd never met. And so wonderful people in the community like Phoebe Wood, who I'd never met previously, got to Phoebe, built a relationship. She ended up making an early investment. Um, John, I knew from before, but it was, it was very much this uh, sort of traverse the personal networks, which is very time consuming yeah. um, and feels maybe a little bit unnecessary. You know, we probably could do a better job of creating aggregation points to say, look, this is the community of investors here. People have limited time. There could be, you know, pitch days once a quarter and they get recorded and, you know, just build some networking in the region. I think we could do a better job of that. And at various stages in our fundraising, we also talked to venture capitalists. This was more during the Series A process, but I would periodically run into people who are like, well, it's an interesting thing that you're doing, but we really don't make investments out of our region very often. Now, there's a lot of reasons people tell you no, and they don't always tell you their real reason, right? So some of the time it may have just been they weren't sure if they believed our story, and that's okay. But uh, when you look at the patterns and you look at other companies at similar stages and the kind of money they raise when they're in you know, the Bay Area, New York, Boston, et cetera, there's no question that we are not in an environment where it's easy to raise cash, right? And so we, I think what we can do to help you know, the, the next generations of of entrepreneurs is just make it a little easier to find the people who do have the willingness, who do have the funds and who want to be supporting local investors. Yeah. That's, that's, that's one of our local uh, entrepreneurs rather. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's one of our missions here at, here at middle tech is to like put these stories out there. And I think we can do a much better job. And I love your idea of, you know, I think we're starting to do that with some of our products that we're putting out the Kentucky tech map is something we're working on. And I think we can right. work our way more towards this, more of a network that is public facing. And I love the idea of those, 
uh, you know, weekly pitches from from entrepreneurs that get distributed out to angels that sign up. You know, we can definitely do a lot of amazing things there. But I think I think one of the things that we just identified was the lack of you know conversation and open uh, borders around these conversations because it's like isolated here in Lexington and you've got this isolation in Louisville and you know we're we're trying to connect it and so I totally understand what you're saying um, related to that and. Um, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. And I think, uh, you yeah. know, we're in the early innings. Um, so that's, that's something we're working on. But uh, all right. So as I mentioned, I wanted to kind of end this with like a forward looking perspective on VR. So give us like your state of the industry now. Um, it's come a long ways. It's kind of slowly moving towards consumers. But as uh-huh. you see it now, how would you describe it? It sometimes surprises us. Uh, me and some of my earliest employees, we we looked up the other day and realized we've been at this for five years and it, it feels fast and it feels slow. So we, we, on the one hand, say it's incredible how far we've come, not just behavior, but the industry. And then at some levels, like, well, it's incredible. It hasn't come farther in five years. Right. So this is this is really the early stages of trying to um, to go mainstream with a very different medium, a very different mode of interacting with technology. And it's it's sort of on the one hand, simple to get it and understand it. You know, put on a headset, feel that presence, feel that sense of being transported. On the other hand, it's actually far more profound. Like, when, you know, we, so much of what we do in technology, it's just screen-based in our hand, on our desktop, on our, you know, on our console, in the living room, whatever. And getting people to really see past the screen when everything is just this 2D representation of something in front of you is not always easy. But once you start spending more time in VR and you feel how different it is when you're engaged you know, cognitively, emotionally, physically, like the physicality of VR and being absolutely engaged with this responsive simulation, it's, it's pretty remarkable. And what's happening now, I mentioned the, the success of the Quest 2 in, in Q4 of last year. That was, I think, a really key moment for the industry because it really is like the first mainstream VR headset in terms of cost, quality, resolution, lightweight, etc., the other thing that's happening right now is fitness is kind of blowing up in VR. And so this is sort of the first major utilization of the medium beyond gaming. Um, and when you get into fitness experiences in VR, you get all these benefits of the immersion, the time shifting, uh, being distracted from where, wherever you were and some of the pain, if you want to call it that, of, of exercising, right? It's not always fun. And yet a completely gamified experience. So there's a game, for example, that it's a game slash workout. My wife and I have been doing religiously, really, since uh, since Thanksgiving or so. It's called Supernatural. If you haven't tried Supernatural and you have a quest, you absolutely should. It's amazing. Music, beautiful nature scenes, very physical, build up a great sweat, et cetera. So we're getting there. You know, the, the, it is it is right on the cusp of going mainstream. And what it's going to take to continue to kind of that exponential growth curve is more and more, uh, you know, it's the, it's the old killer app thing, right? These use cases that for different people, it's going to be different things. It won't be games for everybody. For some people, it's going to be fitness. For some people, it's going to be health and mental health. And obviously, we want to be a part of that. Um, so for some people, it will be connection and sort of social networking and connectivity, uh, a place to go. So, you know, Second Life is still around, believe it or not. But the people who keep it around, it's it's about connectivity for them. It's about that metaverse and being with their with their peers and friends and so on. So it's going to be all these things, right? It's not going to be one thing that gets it over the hump. 
Yeah, Got it. absolutely. Well, I can hear the passion in your voice when you talk about VR and when you talk about the solution you guys are are solving. So it's been an absolute pleasure to to talk to you about all this. And it's something that I've become very passionate about here recently. I actually just had to send my uh, my Oculus back for a repair, and it's been miserable not having it because I would get <laughs> I would go down rabbit holes in YouTube. I mean, for education, it's phenomenal. For engaging you and what you're learning, it's incredible. And like I said, I love meditating with it. I love playing video games on it. I mean, everything, everything yeah. in VR. And anybody that's listening, if you haven't tried a VR headset, you've got to get your hands. Uh, Oculus Two, I think, is probably one of the best ones you could you could it's find amazing. right now. Uh, but as we close this out, uh, we'd love to give you an opportunity to uh, tell our listeners where they can learn more about you. And if anyone's interested in uh, working with you or, or using your services, where can they go to find more information? Yeah, thank you. And just before I do, I want to mention one more thing we, should, we should talk about. And that's Apple. right? And mm-hmm. so as you know, Apple never confirms anything. They don't tell us what's coming. But there are um, rampant rumors about Apple bringing a VR, AR kind of mixed reality headset to market sometime next year. Very high price point, very high resolution, lightweight, high materials, huge numbers of outward facing cameras, et cetera. Obviously we're, we're, we're rooting for them. I'm a bit of an Apple fan or a fanboy myself. Um, big fan of Oculus, don't get me wrong, but for some, when Apple comes out with a product, it's going to be like VR just got invented, right? <laughs> and so hopefully they'll have great success and they're, they're teasing, or, well, they're not teasing. The, the rumors are suggesting things like, you know, 8K resolution per eye. Now, what that means, just so you know, that's like retinas, retina level resolution, right? So if they can pull that off and put enough computing power behind it, that'll be pretty transformative stuff. So we'll see. So we're, we're, we're all pulling for Apple. Uh, back to your other question, you know, we, we can be found at uh, behavior.com, B-E-H-A-V-R.com. We primarily are a B2B company right now, so we can work with clinicians, you know, uh, uh, physical therapy clinics, uh, psychologists, psychiatrists, primary care clinics, uh, employers who want to take care of employee health. We have a program called Centered VR that's really for employee population stress, and we developed that with Johns Hopkins University. And uh, so employers, payers, providers uh, can be our customers today. Our first direct-to-consumer product offering will be our Nurture VR, which is available in clinical settings today, but will be available uh, direct-to-consumer for, uh, for expectant mothers starting around mid-July. That's so awesome. Well, we're so excited for you. This has been a fantastic conversation. We're super excited to watch what you guys accomplish going forward in this very exciting industry. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I appreciate the invitation, and thanks what you guys are doing for the, uh, for the local ecosystem, for innovators and entrepreneurs. It's important. 